Well, I tell you, I am excited about the opportunity to open up God's word this morning. This is, you guys don't realize it, but you are an intimidating group of people. You probably don't recognize that. Maybe one-on-one, maybe you don't even, you're not individually, but as a group, intim- well, some of you are intimidating one-on-one, Will. But uh, as a group, this is, I tell you, this is such an exciting and nervous type of a feeling to stand up in front and have the opportunity to open up God's word. And it's very humbling to, to have this opportunity placed in front of me. And uh, I take it very seriously. And uh, this morning, we're going to be into, in an Old Testament book. But before you get settled in, because listen, I'm going to be speaking for the next hour or two. Uh, and before you get settled in, I want to give you an opportunity to stretch your legs. I know you were just standing, but like I said, a couple hours from now, you're going to wish you have stood up. But uh, I want to give you an opportunity to stand and just quickly talk to someone who's standing next to you. And here's what I'd like you to do. We used to do these all the time. We used to do what we called mixers during the middle of our service, just give you an opportunity to, to communicate or maybe just share a name, get to know somebody who's sitting around you. But today, I'm going to give you a very specific question I'd like you to answer to somebody. Okay, here it is. I'm, I'm often known for my great love of history. Well, I say that sarcastically. Here's the question for you. If you could go back into time and pick the brain of one individual, go back into any point in time and get to sit down and talk with one individual. Listen, I know all you spiritual people, it can't be Jesus, okay? All right, let's not Sunday school answer our way out of this one, okay? Can't be Jesus. If you can go back into time and pick the brain of one individual, who would it be? All right, I'll pause for a second so you can think. Waste a little bit of time saying useless words right now so your brain can be coming up with somebody. You have 90 seconds to stand, interact with someone around you. Who would you love to pick their brain? Go. I'm, ta- I'm clocking it. 90 seconds. 90 seconds. Thirty seconds, thirty seconds, and we're shutting this down.
All right, let's start making our way back to our seats if we're not there. All right, here we go. So, you had the opportunity. I, I let you get a few words in. You had the opportunity to share with someone. Who is it? Is this, is this on? Brian, can you hear me? I, no, no. All right, people. I'm going to have to start handing out the merits or something if we're not going to return to our seats. Jason Swinehart, conversation over. Sit down. Now i got to get to the point where I'm calling people out by name. Way to go. This messed up my whole sermon. <laughs> so I was thinking about if I had the opportunity, and I'm not a, a history buff in any way, but boy, I love studying the Bible. And I would love to be able to sit down with the Apostle Paul. I tell you, I would love to be able to, as I, as I read the New Testament and study the New Testament and see what, what Paul describes or these letters that he writes to the different churches that he writes to and the different men that he writes to, and to be able to sit down and ask him some questions and see exactly what he's trying to get across. Boy, I'd love to be able to ask him, hey, this is what's going on at Centerpoint Bible Church, Paul. Is this what you pictured? Is this what you were talking about when you said to do these things? When you said that, that we are supposed to be a body like this? And man, I'd love to be able to sit down and, and just pick his brain. I'm sure you guys had a, a number of different people that, that you thought about that, that came to your mind. And today we're going to look at someone that should be high on our list, even though we might not jump to, that person might not jump into our mind. But before we get into the passage that we're going, for, going through today, let me give you a quick rundown of where we are. We've been studying the Old Testament. And Pastor Lowell has been over this summer progressively working his way through the Old Testament and he's taken on quite a challenge of basically trying to cover an Old Testament overview in 13 weeks, which is a phenomenal idea. And so clearly as we've gone through the Old Testament, there are certain things that we can highlight and certain things that have to be skipped. Sorry if some of your favorite stories that you really loved out of the Old Testament haven't been a key or a focus up to this point, but to cover all of the Old Testament in 13 weeks, you can't hit all of them. And so we start all the way back at the beginning. God creates Adam and Eve. We see sin come into this world. We see sin progress to the point that God decides he's done with this. And he destroys the whole earth, everything on it except for one family. Through Noah and the flood and we see uh, a progression beyond there and we jump ahead in, in time and, and God has this chosen group of people that he's going to work through man named Abraham and his descendants. And from Abraham comes Isaac, and from Isaac comes Jacob, and from Jacob comes Joseph. And Joseph is sold by his brothers into slavery, and they end up in Egypt. And the nation of Israel grows in Egypt. 
We looked at the, the nation of Israel gets to the point that the Egyptians take them captive. They, they turn them into slaves. They deal harshly with them. And eventually, they leave Egypt, known as the Exodus. And they leave Egypt, and God takes the nation of Israel out of Egypt, and, and we see a number of things there, and he, he places them in a place known as their promised land. They're in Canaan. And the nation of Israel lives for a period of time there and they start looking around and they see other people, other nations that are, that are there and they say, wait a second, this is kind of weird. These other nations have a person who leads them and we don't. We are led by God, but boy, it would be great if we had another per a person like all these other nations do. So the nation of Israel says, we want a king. God says that's a bad choice. But he gives it to them. And he allows them to, to have a king. We see Saul. We see David. And then David has a son and his name is Solomon. And we've been kind of progressing through the Old Testament. And as we progress through the Old Testament, we've seen historical literature that's explained this stuff to us. But then we also, last week, Pastor Lowell spent some time in the book of Psalms and this wisdom literature, these poetic books, we saw that David is writing and not all the Psalms were written by David, but last week, Pastor Lowell looked at one that was written by David and, and he saw this in this poetic wisdom literature, the way man interacts with God and the way God interacts with man and man sharing, expressing his emotions to God and then God shaping the emotion of man. And if you remember last week, we would hear David cry out and express the way he, his emotions were, what his emotions were to God in the psalm. And then God would shape David's emotion and direct it correctly. Today we're going to take a look at another book of wisdom literature. And this book is the book of Ecclesiastes. So if you have your Bible, I'd like you to turn to the book of Ecclesiastes, please. For Please feel free to look in the table of contents, but if you're at the book of Psalms, we go, then go Psalms, Proverbs, and Ecclesiastes. So we're two books to the right of Psalms here. The book of Ecclesiastes is not a real long book. It's 12 chapters. But we're going to try to cover Ecclesiastes today, which is why I said, give me a couple hours, and uh, you should be out of here. Uh, but we're going to look at Solomon and his view on a very important topic today in the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes was written probably right around the neighborhood of about 950 BC. That's an estimated time. We're not 100% sure. As a matter of fact, it never even directly says that Solomon is the author of Ecclesiastes, but most people agree on that statement, and you'll see why here in a moment when we start reading at the beginning of Ecclesiastes chapter 1. And, and so as we look at this, we need to understand that Solomon, in his writing here, he's older in his life. Solomon's not far from death at this point in time, and he's looking back at his life, 
And he's writing about some of the things that he's learned. And in essence, what he's really doing is he's answering one very specific question. Nothing real big, just a simple question. What's the purpose of life? You know, little question like, why are we all here? What's the purpose of all of this? By the way, that's a pretty big question for us to know the answer to. Boy, it would be good if we could go out of this area, go out into our world, and help people understand that question. What's the purpose of all of this? Now, as, I, as we read some today, and we're going to actually read more out of God's word than we often do, but as we read today, I want you to listen and I want you to hear the heart of Solomon. I want you to hear what he is laying out for us. And actually, I say he asks the question of what is, or answers the question of what is the purpose of life. He actually spends more time explaining what is not the purpose of life. He does get to what is the purpose of all of this. But of the majority of what he says, he is spending time answering the question of what isn't the purpose of life. I know that's a weird way to say it, but that's what he spends time covering. So as you listen to this today, and as you think, as a believer in Jesus Christ, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, I want you to challenge your thinking. I want you to challenge your your own heart, and I want you to be honest with yourself, and I want you to think about this idea. Are any of these things that Solomon is saying is not the purpose of life, Have they grabbed you and are you living for this? And and I I don't want you to allow yourself to, to say something or think something like, oh yeah, well, that's not me. That's not me. You're not really talking to me. You ask the question, what's the purpose of life? I could tell you the answer right now. So if I raise my hand and give you the correct answer, can I go? I want, you to, I want you to avoid that thought running through your mind. And I want you to get past maybe what you intellectually know and look at what you actually live. Because if you're honest with yourself, just like if I'm honest with myself, sometimes what I intellectually know and what I really live are two different things. And so I want to challenge you to evaluate your life today And to look at what Solomon is saying really matters on this earth. I want to read Ecclesiastes chapter 1. I'm going to stop a couple of times as I go. And I'm going to tell you right up front, if you've never read the book of Ecclesiastes, it's not a real shot in the arm and a great builder up. Like when I read, you'll see here in a second, when I read chapter 1 or a portion of chapter 1, you're not going to feel really encouraged by it. Just stick with it, okay? Here we go. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king of Jerusalem. By the way, Solomon calls himself the preacher throughout this. Ecclesiastes really means the idea of uh, the one who gathers or calls, or to be gathered together or called together. So Solomon is calling himself a preacher. He's proclaiming to those who are gathered together. 
He's really speaking here to the young men of the nation of Israel or younger people of the nation of Israel. And he's trying to tell them, listen to what I have to say. By the way, did you catch, did you notice that it kind of logically makes sense that Solomon, he doesn't say his own name, but he says son of David and king in Jerusalem. Like that kind of narrows it down a little bit to to who that might be that, that we're speaking of here. Then he gets into this. Here's the encouraging part. I said sarcastically, verse two, vanity of vanities, says the preacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Just stop for a second. That word vanity shows up 30 some times in this book. Use it a whole bunch of times right there. The word vanity, he uses it in a couple of different ways and it can, it can mean the idea of fleeting, like it's, it's gonna pass away quickly. It can mean the concept of just being meaningless. Your version, depending on what you're looking at, might say meaningless. Some versions do. And it can, it can also mean just the idea of something being unknowable. Like I don't have the ability to comprehend what is being said or done. But he comes to this conclusion that Everything here on this earth is meaningless. Like I said, not real encouraging. He expounds on it, so let's continue a little bit. He said, what does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. You're here for a little bit, basically, and then you go away. Guess what? The earth continues to move on. He keeps going. The sun rises and the sun goes down. And hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind. And on its circuit, the wind returns. The stream run into the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear with hearing. What has been is what will be. And what has been done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. So what is he saying? Guess what? You're born on this earth. You do some things. The sun rises, the sun sets. The wind blows, the wind blows again. It rains, the rivers run into the sea. Seas don't fill up. You die, guess what's going to happen? The sun's going to rise, the sun's going to set. The wind's going to blow, and it's going to circle around and blow again. The rain is going to drop, it's going to fill up the rivers, the rivers run into the sea, and that's going to continue to happen. And basically, he comes back to his statement of, it's all meaningless. You might think, well, my goodness, Solomon, that's not exactly the pep talk we were looking for. If I'm saying what's the purpose of all of this stuff and you give me the statement, it's all meaningless, you're not helping me out very much. Well, who's Solomon? Like, how would he even really know? Like, why are we respecting the words of this guy anyhow? Let's jump ahead a little bit farther and let's look a little bit more at this guy, Solomon. So jump ahead to verse 12. Like I said, we're going to read a bunch. Stay engaged with me, please. Don't let your brain wander as we're reading God's word. So listen to what he says here. He says, I, the preacher, have been king over Israel in Jerusalem, and I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. And it was an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. 
I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and striving after the wind. Jump down to verse 16. He said, I have said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were in Jerusalem before me, and my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge, and I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly, and I perceived that they are all striving after the wind. So here's what Solomon says. Here's what he says. So I look around and on my quick, my first instinct as I look at this, I say, this life is meaningless because whether I'm here or not, the earth is gonna continue to have the sunrise and the sunset. Whether I'm here or not, the wind is gonna blow. I can't affect that. Whether I'm here or not, the seas are gonna have the rivers run into them. So there has to be something that provides purpose here. Something. So Solomon decides, I'm going to figure out what it is. And in chapter 2, he starts guessing at what the purposes might be. And he tried them. You guys know some stuff about Solomon. We know a few things about Solomon. Somebody tell me, I know this isn't the way it normally works, but I'll allow you to speak for a moment. Somebody tell me, what is Solomon typically known for? Wisdom. Wise, right? There's something else that Solomon is often well known for. He's wise and wealth. Ridiculously rich. Wives, right? Women, wealth, wisdom. Solomon is known for these things. Now this is Solomon in his older age and he's looking back at his life and he basically says, starting here in chapter two, he says, let me explain to you the stuff that I've tried to find purpose here. And we see three specific things, three main things that Solomon tries in order to figure out what is the meaning to all of this? Why am I here? What is going on? What am I doing? And maybe you've actually thought those exact words. And he looks at three things. And I want to read chapter two and we're going to break it apart, but I want you to see the three purposes that Solomon goes for. This is purpose number one. And purpose number one is what we're going to call self-indulgence. He said, maybe the purpose here is for me to just indulge myself, make myself happy. Maybe that is the purpose. Maybe that's what I'm supposed to be doing. So let's take a look at what he says here, starting in Chapter 2, verse 1, he says, I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this also was vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad and of pleasure. What use is it? I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine. My heart still guiding me with wisdom and how to lay, lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. I made great works. Notice what he says he does here. So he already said, I tried wine. He says, I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I've made myself pools for which to water the forest of, or the forest of growing trees. I bought myself male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks more than any other who were before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines to delight the children of man. So I became great and surpassed all were before me. 
He says then in verse 10, and whatever my eye desired, I did not keep from it. It's an interesting statement. Basically, if I wanted it, I got it. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in my toil, and this was the reward of my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil that I was expanded in doing it. And behold, notice the next line of verse 11. What does he say? All was vanity. So he says to himself, maybe the purpose of all of this is to bring myself pleasure. Maybe that's why I'm here. Maybe the goal in me being here is to find pleasure. So I'm gonna seek it out. And he did. He built great things. He got all the money he could get, filthy rich. He did everything he possibly could. If you can think of it as far as bringing yourself pleasure in some way, Solomon's like, yep, check, tried it. And he comes to this thought. It's all meaningless. It doesn't work. It's not our purpose. It might feel for a moment like it's the purpose, but it's not. It is all completely useless. We got to be careful of allowing our life to slip into the idea that if I indulge myself, I'm going to bring myself some sort of purpose. It's not there, folks. And Solomon tried it. As a matter of fact, and this isn't a shot at any of us, but it's just to say who Solomon was, he tried it better than we can because his resources are greater than ours. He did everything he could to indulge himself and it didn't work. So he goes on, it's like, well, maybe that's not it. How about purpose number two? Purpose number two, and again, this makes sense for Solomon, Maybe the purpose is found in gaining wisdom. Maybe wisdom is it. Maybe I should just get wiser. Which is interesting because Solomon is known as being the wisest man to ever live. But notice what he says in verse 12. He's like, I think maybe I've got it. So I turn to consider wisdom and madness and folly. For what can a man do who comes after the king, only what has already been done. Then I saw that there is more gain in wisdom than in folly, as there is more gain in light than in darkness. Ah, he's getting somewhere. Maybe the purpose is wisdom. Verse 14, the wise person has his eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness, and yet is perceived that the same event happens to all of them. The same event happens to all of them. You know what he's saying here? Anybody have a thought? What event happens to all of them? You die. You can be excessively wise or excessively foolish, and guess what? Eventually, you're both going to die. He's like, well, so if I think through that a second, if the whole purpose of being here is to gain in wisdom, then why doesn't wisdom help me in some way? Well, the end result is the same. So that can't be the ultimate in purpose. We got to be careful 
It's easy to allow ourselves to slip into this purpose of gaining and growing in knowledge and assuming that that is the ultimate goal and the ultimate purpose here in this world. It's just not. Solomon moves on. And he, he attempts purpose number three. And this is the, the last one that we're going to take a look at here. And he says, well, well, maybe there's another purpose out there. Maybe that's not it. So it's not in me indulging myself. It's not in me growing and gaining wisdom because neither one of those things seem to satisfy. They don't fulfill. It's not why I'm here. And he gets to number three. And number three is, he figures, maybe it's in my labor. Maybe I'm here to be fulfilled in my work, my toil. He uses the word toil in the ESV. Verse 18, he says this, I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to a man who will come after me. And who knows whether he is wise or a fool, yet he will, master, or he will be master of all of which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. He looked at it and he thought, well, maybe, maybe I'm supposed to be fulfilled by all the work that I do. But the problem with all the work that I do is this. I do all of this work, I do all of this stuff, and I gain some reward for it, and then I die, and it's left to somebody else. And who knows what that somebody else is going to do with it. If you don't realize it, Solomon after he dies, has this very situation that he just explained takes place in the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel is a, a kingdom, one unified kingdom. The 12 tribes, they're all together. Solomon is king. Solomon passes away. And his son, Rehoboam, by the way, you can, we don't have time to go there. 1 Kings chapter 12 lays this all out for us. If you'd like to take a look at it or read it at another time, 1 Kings chapter 12. After Solomon dies, Rehoboam makes some really bad choices, listens to some really bad counsel, and the nation of Israel separates into two parts. 931 BC, northern kingdom, southern kingdom, based upon the decisions of the son of Solomon. And all this work that Solomon had done, it didn't fulfill. You know, Solomon goes through almost 12 full chapters explaining what doesn't bring purpose. It's interesting. You read the book of Ecclesiastes, and as you go, I said, it's, it's only 12 chapters long. And as you go through, you keep waiting for it to kind of shift. You keep waiting for there to be this change where, okay, I finished chapter eight. He's done telling me negative stuff. He's going to give me four or five chapters of worthwhile stuff. But he takes almost 12 chapters to tell you all of this other stuff is not going to fulfill. I need everybody to turn your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Ecclesiastes chapter 12. I'd like you to look all the way down at verse 13. By the way, this is how far we go into the book. You'll notice if you flip your next page, it's a different book of the Bible. 
All right? So we are at the end here. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, Solomon has laid out all of this stuff of, you know what? Your purpose is not in self-indulgence. Your purpose is not in just gaining wisdom, the wisdom of the world, what is showing you so you can be brighter and greater and have more knowledge and know more. That's not the purpose. Your purpose is not just in, you know what? Be a hard worker. You'll be fulfilled by that. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13 says this. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Do you hear that last phrase? This is the whole duty of man. This is all of it. The whole purpose, all of why we're here, everything that there is as to why you exist on this planet is summed up in the statement, fear God and keep his commandments. Pastor Brock, I could have told you that before we started with this. You know what? You probably could have. But I want us to understand this, that Fear God and keep his commandments is not a partial lifestyle concept. Here's the issue that I see in many Christians. Here's the issue that personally I find myself struggling with in my life. And it's this. We like to create hybrids of how we're supposed to live. And what I mean by that is this. I like to take part of fear God and keep his commandments and I like to blend it together with part of self-indulgence and part of wisdom and part of working hard for things. And I like to cram them all together and now I say I have this group of stuff and this is my purpose. And I'm going to guess that I'm not the only person here who that's true about. Like, I I get the idea, fear God, I revere him, I worship him, I love him, keep his commandments, I obey him. As a matter of fact, 1 John directly links the fact of obedience with love. If I love God, I'm going to obey him. But there are just times in our lives where we we, we must realize It's so easy in our culture to blend these things together. And it's so simple for us to hear the idea and to know the answer of fear God and obey his commandments, but live in a way that really shows I'm about self-indulgence. It happens to us all the time. And then we go through life and we say things like, we might not say them, but we think things like, I really feel like I'm fearing God. I really feel like I'm obeying God, but I really don't feel the joy and peace that I'm supposed to have from my relationship with Jesus Christ. You know why? You're, giving, you're saying all the right answers, but you're living a hybrid life. And here's the thing, hybrid lives don't work. I'll be honest with you, and I know this is going to sound ridiculous, and it might, I don't know, please don't throw stones or chairs or something, but you might as well cut out the fear God and obey his commandments, because in essence, you ought to just go fully into self-indulgence. 
because it's not working anyhow. You can't just blend or pull a portion. You can't go 30% fear God. Doesn't work that way, folks. It just doesn't. And I want to challenge you this morning. I really want you to think about this and I want you to evaluate your life and I want you to, to start as you go throughout your day, as you go throughout your week, your month, and, and you continue on with what's going on in your life, I want you to think about this concept. Is this me fearing God and obeying his commandments or is this me indulging myself? Is this me finding purpose in something that is outside of God? Because if it is, it's me taking away from my purpose here on this earth. And according to Solomon, that makes it meaningless. We've all felt meaningless, right? You felt the idea of doing something or being part of something that was useless. I remember back when I was in college, I had a guy ask me to help him with some work, show up at his house, and he has this pile of cinder blocks, big stack of cinder blocks, and he says, hey, I need those blocks over there. So I started moving cinder blocks, moved them all over here for him to say, oh my, I forgot, that can't be there. They actually need to be over there. And I realized, it's like, I just did an hour worth of work that was absolutely, 100%, completely useless. And I felt it. I was like, are you kidding me? Is my time that valuable to you that you would tell me to do something that is meaningless and useless and put in that much effort for the sake of nothing but to do it all over again? You know what, some of us, we live every day this way. Chasing after the wind, as Solomon calls it. Running after stuff that is not providing or fulfilling. And here's the thing, we could go through example after example after example, but you just need to think through your life and understand that much of what we're doing is not for the ultimate purpose of fearing God and obeying his commandments. And we need to, as a body of believers, stop saying the correct answer and start living it. Because it's our purpose here on this earth. It's why we're here. So he says again, the end of the matter, this has been heard, fear God and keep his commandments. This is the whole duty of man. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you have given us purpose. God, I thank you that you care enough for us and love us enough that you have decided to save us that you've given us a task, you've given us purpose here on this earth. And God, I pray that we would consider 
our lives and how we're living out that purpose. God, give us wisdom in it. May you be feared. May you be worshiped. May you be loved and obeyed. God, may we be truly living what you've called us to. In Jesus' name, amen.